0: Welcome to Riverlife Podcasts. We're a church family embracing the Father's presence, releasing empowered people to declare and demonstrate Christ's kingdom. We trust that God would use what you hear today to bless and grow you so that you would be a blessing to those around you. For more information about Riverlife Baptist Church, go to riverlifechurch.org.au or find us on social media. Uh, we're talking about uh, the spirit of Christmas And today we're talking about um, the spirit of giving Actually, Pastor Grant in his, uh, just When he was talking about the offering just then Summed up absolutely beautifully That God is the God who gives um, And uh, I'm acutely aware of the distance Between me and God when I get to Christmas I love Christmas, but in my family I'm the kind of the grinchy one Which I, I I don't want to take on board For reasons which we'll get to later in the message But um, I don't think that pets are a good Christmas present. (laughs) Penny and the rest of the family would disagree with me on that, and that makes me grinchy as it turns out. Um, I don't know how I feel about it because, uh, maybe call it miraculous, maybe call it the work of the enemy, but someone on our street last night had a kitten dropped off at their front door by an anonymous person. And the response in my heart was, that's rough. The response for everyone else sitting on the couch having, uh, watching TV was, why couldn't it have be been our house? So there was a Christmas miracle or someone gave uh, a cat, someone this week in our, in our street. But uh, what I do love about Christmas is I love watching uh, as people just celebrate time together with family. I love observing just what happens when, uh, when people come together for something that's beyond themselves. Uh, And I think as we come to the time of Christmas, we're all acutely aware that there's something bigger than ourselves going on. Uh, And and in our expression of it, it's great when we experience that, but even we feel the lack of it when it's not there in our lives. And as I was thinking about Christmas and this whole idea of giving and what it looked like for Jesus to come, you know, I was reflecting on our character as Australians, and there's a certain level of generosity built into our DNA. As I was reflecting on it, I actually Googled how how does the rest of the world define Aussies, I found a really interesting list of characteristics. Unsurprisingly, mateship. Unsurprisingly, egalitarianism. Uh, Being authentic, being optimistic, being humble, being informal, easygoing, um, being funny, having a certain level of common sense. In fact, as it turns out, Australia is number four in the globe in terms of nations, uh, in terms of generosity. Did you know that? In terms of giving to charitable causes and, and volunteering, Australia is number four in the world. Which is I thought it was like, well, there you go, look at us go, well done, <laughs> go team, go team. In fact, I've been reading this really interesting book about the settlers of this part of Brisbane uh, right back in the 1860s. And generosity was marked then in the community as people settled farms and that kind of stuff where uh, there was a a whole bunch of people who came in to clear all the rocks out of the river just over the rise here, and the local community just rallied around them, gave them places to stay, gave them food. There was this extension of generosity, the people who were coming to just do the work locally. In fact, when the Oxley uh, train station, station master, got into a, a bit of a legal battle in the 1870s, the whole community rallied around to provide food and resources for his family while he went through this hard time. And I think back even in recent days, we've seen the flood and the way that our community has just rallied around. There's something in our DNA that just speaks to the generosity of heart, the generosity of spirit. It's who we are. And I think about that, and I think about that in the context of what we read in Scripture about the kingdom of God and and the work of the Holy Spirit because of Jesus coming on that very first Christmas. And I think, wow, what would it look like for the kingdom to get a hold of what's already been built into us. What would it look like? What does it look like already? What have we already seen happening as the indications of what it looks like for the Holy Spirit to start to activate what's been put into us in our culture to start to be a supernatural kingdom expression of his work? As we've been talking about, uh, as John started off last week, um, we're talking about the spirit of Christmas, and we're not just talking about, you know, the, uh, the vibe that you have when you're sitting at home um, you know, in the air conditioning with the fire on the TV, eating fruit mince pies and, and chilling out, it's actually all at its heart, Christmas is all about Jesus. He is the one that is central to Christmas and the spirit of Christmas is really that way that his Holy Spirit works in us and through us to make him central to this whole season. Christmas is about Jesus. And the Holy Spirit's work in our lives to let Jesus be seen to the people around us. John talked last week about peace. uh, Peace that comes uh, from the Holy Spirit into our lives because of what Jesus did. His birth, his life, his death, his resurrection and his ascension. And because of that we can have peace with God. We can have peace in ourselves. And we can have peace with the world around us. So this week going to use that kind of framework. It's super helpful to have a think about what giving might look like. So let's step back to that first Christmas. Joseph and Mary, they experience a, a, a miracle. This baby is born to them and, and the angels come and declare to them that this, this baby that was, was conceived miraculously is actually the culmination of of hundreds, if not thousands, of years of promises of God to step into the world and through His people and for His people and by His people bless the world. That the Creator God stepped in to this world to set everything right. And it wasn't a surprise. It was a surprise the way that He arrived, but it wasn't a surprise that He would come. See, some 2,000 years before the very first Christmas, God spoke to this guy called Abraham and said, I'm going to bless the world through you. And because of what I do in your life and your family as it comes for the generations, something's going to happen in this family that's going to impact the entire world, not because of who you are, but because, God says, of who he is. He made a promise to that guy, Abraham. He made a promise about 1,000 years later to a guy called David, Who would become king? He said, I'm actually going to bring a king through your family line as a descendant of Abraham. I'm going to bring a king who's going to be king forever. And he's going to set up a place where people will find life and freedom and purpose and eternal life in relationship. He spoke through the prophets and he spoke to the prophets. For hundreds of years, in the darkest of times, when things looked altogether lost, he reminded them that everything is not lost, that there is one who is working tirelessly, endlessly to bring about freedom and life. And what I think is really important about all of these moments, all the way through, is that as God expresses his heart for us, his, his desire to bless, to pour out onto Humanity, his goodness and mercy, his life, his invitation to salvation. What I think is really powerful is that God doesn't expect anything from us to start with. He doesn't expect us to do anything. You see, uh, to the ancient world for Abraham and for David and even at the time of Jesus, the the picture of the God or the the ruler was not one who would come and do something for you, but they were the person that you had to do something for. That be it the king or the the God, you would have to work hard to provide for them. You would spend your effort to create food and wealth and you would give it to them to serve them. There's an expectation that we would work for the overlord, be it God or king. But this creator, God, shows up to Abraham and to David and to the prophets and everyone and says, no, 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 before you do anything, I'm just going to choose you and bless you which is entirely radical in the world at the time. It introduced a concept which was foreign to so many people that this God is different to other gods because He is a generous God. He is a God who gives first and gives more and gives abundantly with no expectation. From his very first interactions with humanity, he's giving. The first thing we see God do is speak and give give the world to create this place, He gives the first people breath. He gives a place to live. He gives Abraham a promise, not because of anything that Abraham did, but because he just wanted to do it. Time and time again, God reveals himself to be a giving God, a generous God, when all the other gods and kings wanted just for themselves and they took from the people around them for themselves, God shows up and he says, here, I want to give something to you. Be blessed. This is what's the the build-up into that first Christmas. This is what's coming down the line that while everything else around us is taking, this God says, I want to come and I want to give. And there's a, a, for me, one of the most striking promises that... uh, that is, is recorded in scripture of this coming king is in Isaiah chapter 9 so if you've got your Bible want to open up there I'm going to go to Isaiah chapter 9 and it's a, a really amazing passage but I just want to pick up a little bit of it and there's a beautiful prophetic word about light coming into the darkness and all of this kind of stuff but I want to pick up in verse 6 And this is part of the promise that Isaiah receives from God for what is to come. And he says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let's just have a look at that for a second. Like it's all giving language, this promise of someone who'll come into the darkness to bring light. For to us, a child is born. Children are born all the time, but this one's different, is born to us. This one is a son that is given. And then all the things, all the names that Isaiah is inspired by the Lord to give to this coming son, this coming child, this coming one, they're all others focused. He'll be a wonderful counselor. You need someone else to counsel, to give wisdom and input to he'll be a mighty god he needs to be strong for someone else he will be a father he will be the prince of peace fathers create a place for others to feel safe the prince of peace needs there to be people around that he can create a place of peace to enjoy he will govern with justice and righteousness if there's just you if there's no one else then you don't need justice but this is the giving God. This is the promise, the coming king. So if the spirit of Christmas reflects the spirit of God who comes to us, then his nature, this foundational character trait of God, his generosity, well, it comes to us as well. That's the, that's the, the foundation piece. This is who God is. And this is what he's doing when he comes to us at Christmas. But then that that requires from us, then, a response. See, God gives us a revelation of him. Even the fact that we know who he is is a gift from him. And that requires us to start to engage with that. See, it's not just knowing it, it's also about applying it. uh, A very wise person said to me recently, we fool ourselves if we think insight equals wisdom. We might learn something new, but if we don't do anything with it, it actually doesn't change our lives. It's not wisdom, it's just more information. So we can know that God is giving God, but unless it changes something in the, inside of us, then it's just information. It should impact our lives. If this is who he is, and this is what he's doing in the world, and we want to be in relationship with him, then maybe this has an implication on what life looks like for us. As Grant read out just before... For God so loved the world that he gave he gave his only son he gives God is a giving God and Jesus is the gift that keeps on giving so we can accept that gift We can be thankful for that gift. We can kind of echo what what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians that we say, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. This is the beauty of God is that He, for no apparent reason when we were the worst of sinners, as Paul writes, he gave, he stepped in, he presented himself to us. This is part of the inward journey that we have to start to wrestle with. Because if this is true then we have to start to look at ourselves with the same generosity that God looks at us with. And I think, I, I think as I prayed this week, as I reflected on this message, as I even just heard, uh, and I feel like Pastor Nick kind of emphasis, just really confirmed for me a, a part of what I wanted to talk about today is that, you know, we can, we can stand, or if you're at home watching, you can sit on the couch and have these amazing words of worship, this, this kind of declaration that this is who our God is. And we can say then as a result, we should be giving. We should be inviting, we should be giving our time and our affection and our, we should go, we should tell others like God did to us, we should do that for others. But there's a bit in the middle which I think is part of the barrier which stops us doing those things, which is we haven't had the inward journey of God's generosity actually impacting us and our identity, our picture of ourselves. I think that our struggles with generosity sit mainly in this section. When this journey is unresolved internally, then it becomes a barrier for us being generous to others. So I um, I had the absolute privilege of going and leading the Girls' Brigade Juniors through uh, a session on who is Jesus. And I came up with this amazing um, acronym, which I didn't, I found online, and I adapted it because I didn't quite like their theology, but the idea was great. Um, and in the midst of that, I showed them a painting. I showed them a painting, which at the time of its uh, most recent sale, was, it set a record for the most expensive painting ever sold at market. It went for $110 million US dollars. And this is the painting, if we have it. we have the painting? Right. $110 million. So it's quite large. It's a, it's a big piece. And uh, as all kind of picking up in the room right now, uh, same as the girls' brigade, they're like, what? I made them guess how much it was sold for. And I think we got up to just over a couple hundred dollars. And then when I told them, they're like... Uh, That doesn't even make sense. (laughs) Uh, It's it's by a a New York artist called Basquiat from the 80s. Uh, My my children love it. They get t-shirts with not that picture, but other pictures on it. But the point is this. Something is worth what someone is willing to pay for it. So you might look at that and go, it's probably about, if we hit $50 in materials, I'd be shocked. So I'd happily reimburse you for your expenses, but that's about it. But someone looks at that and understands what's going on around it and knows its value because of more than just its aesthetic look and says, I value that. I'll pay 110 million US dollars for that. Not pretty. Not perfect. But there's beauty in the eye of the beholder. And part of the inward journey is for us to come to grips with the fact that when God looks at you and me, warts and all, gold and rubbish, he says, oh, that's worth paying for. In fact, it's worth giving my own life, says Jesus. So you're worth what someone's willing to pay for you, and Jesus is willing to pay his life for you. So the, the, the confronting part of that is that when we live below that, and I'm guilty of this, and this is part of what the Lord's been working on me in the last few months, is when I, believe, when I live below the truth that I am worth Jesus' life to be saved, then there's a blockage in the life of Jesus working in me and through me. And when, while we don't have this resolve, while we are stuck in between in this place, I think, man, the, the desires and the purposes of Jesus to work in us and through us get stopped get locked down because what we end up being instead of being children of God, which is what he calls us and what we are. If you read the first letter of John, it's amazing. He talks about who we are. If we don't get that, then we get stuck as orphans. And Jesus could have been an orphan. There was plenty of orphans in the ancient world 2,000 years ago. There was plenty of unwanted babies. There was plenty of, of babies who were rejected. But Jesus himself said to his followers at the end of John's gospel in chapter 14, and he makes his point so powerfully, he says, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. I will not leave you on your own, I will come to you. The world won't see me for much longer, but you will. Because I live, also you will live. There's this part of reflecting the the giving nature of God, the generosity of our Lord that comes from knowing that we belong. Orphans, by and large, have very little material wealth. Unless the Batman. Bruce Wayne was an orphan and had lots of money. But by and large, most orphans don't. Have no means. They have... No family, let alone a butler who's got a magical cave set up for them full of toys. They have nothing. They are are apart from anything that attributes value to them. And Jesus says, one of the last things he says before his crucifixion is that I'm not going to leave you in that state. That is not how my kingdom works. That when you know who I am and you understand that I give of myself for you, then you'll grab a hold of this and you will not be an orphan any longer. That's why Paul writes a prayer in one of his letters that says, we cry out by the Holy Spirit in our spirit, Abba, Father. Because we are no longer orphans. This is part of the gift of the first Christmas, is that a child is born to set a place for all who are born afterwards to come to find family. And if you ask anyone who's done any work in Christian orphanages, and I've got some good friends who've spent time in Mozambican in orphanages, when Jesus is at the center, those kids, don't, they're not orphans. They may not have much, but they're not orphans. And I know plenty of people who've got everything that they could ever possibly want who are completely orphans. Because an orphan is actually a state of our heart. It's a state of lack because we haven't really grasped the fact that our God is a giving God and gives us value. He gives us worth. And my prayer for us today in this, this place right before Christmas 2023 is that we leave aside our orphan thinking and our orphan spirits and we find life in him. I'd like to just to pray for us in this moment about this. It's not quite the end. Hang in there. But if you bow your head, I just feel like there's just a moment to pray into this. That we might just, if we need the help to take a step towards our good God and maybe invite him in that if we have any of this orphanness in us that we might have the Holy Spirit remind us that Jesus said we would no longer be orphaned. So let, would you pray with me? Would you just bow your heads for a moment? Lord Jesus, we... We stand right now on the, on the promise, the firm foundation that you spoke to us, that you will not leave us as orphans that your work that was about to happen that night and the next day on the cross and your resurrection and the giving of your spirit to us means that we are no longer orphans in fact your presence in our lives can allow us to say Father God to let us understand deep in our hearts that we belong in this family that you call us. And so even right now, Lord, would you come now and for me and for each one in agreement with me, Lord, would you come and would you break our poor and lacking views of ourselves? Lord, I'm reminded of your words to Paul that we we should consider ourselves with sober-minded judgment. And so, Lord, I, I don't want to start with what I don't have. Lord, I want to start with what I do have, which is you. So Lord, would you break any orphan thinking? Any thoughts in our hearts and minds that you aren't generous and loving and extravagant in your expression to us? Would you come, Holy Spirit, spirit of adoption, come fill our hearts afresh today. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for this inexpressible gift. And there's a lot more in that. And if you want prayer into that, our prayer team will be here. We're running our, our streams courses, which delve deep into this now transforming course next year. You can, you can get connected into those if the Lord's kind of ministering to you in that space. But I wanted to land it with, with the last part. Because I think the inward journey is something maybe we, we, have, we, we, we gloss over a bit quickly. We wonder why things don't match up. But the, the inward journey results in the outward journey. results in the giving of ourselves and I love that right through this whole thing none of this is our work in ourselves his salvation for us is a gift it's given to us the fact that we are called sons and daughters children of God is a gift to us but when his spirit fills us as his children then we can't help but reflect his nature and his character and we want to give as Grant said before it was beautiful we wrapped it up really well and maybe we'll make that the highlight reel When we have been given so much, it's not obligation, it's just a pure pleasure to give. It's a pure pleasure to give. As I said at the start, it's in our DNA, it's in our culture to give. What would it look like when it starts to become supernatural, when it starts to become something so much bigger? And so uh, as I was just reflecting on this, I thought, you know, there's a really simple diagnostic to know if I've dealt with that inward journey so that I can express the outward journey. I've just been asking myself these questions. To check my closeness to him so that I can actually be effective in what he's called me to do. So I just started to think, Jesus, you forgave really quickly and fully. Do I do that? Am I like you? Am I I generous in my forgiveness? Jesus, you gave generously of your time and your affections to people regardless of how they responded. Do I do that? Jesus, for you, money wasn't a symbol of status as a means to see your kingdom break in. Jesus, is that my perspective of finances? When I can answer those questions, yes, in the positive sense, then I know that I'm probably close enough to God that I can start to see his work happen through me. And, and this is the beautiful part. And this has been my, another part of my journey. That, that first Christmas, that night... When that child was born, when God in human form entered into this world, he changed the rules of the game. You see, up until that point, the, the prevailing view of the world was it was a closed system. that if you got rich, it meant that I got poor. And if I got rich, you got poor. If I got honor and prestige, then you lost it. It was a closed system. But then Jesus is born, and he changes the rules because the one who is outside of the system steps into the system and brings with him all that he's got. And so before, five loaves and two fish is barely afternoon tea for a little boy. But in Jesus's economy, when God steps in, now that feeds thousands of people. That's the shift that happens. It's not a closed economy anymore. And so our orphan thinking says, if I give, I have less. But kingdom thinking says, as I give, it flows, that the love of God, and, and the number one thing is not finances, I think it's the love of God, as we give it, we will receive more. As we overflow, He refills. And I think maybe, just, uh, just maybe, in our modern age, we've gotten really clever. We know it's not a closed system. We've got a We've got a wealth creation mindset. We know that we can be creative and create value from from nothing. We we kind of that sounds a little bit like what God did in creation. We start to take nothing and make something valuable out of it. And maybe just maybe we've come a little bit self reliant. That maybe we've forgotten that the act of God is to create and give. And as we partner with Him to do that, as we start to invite Him back into what we now know is an open system, but actually let him start to set it, start to direct it, start to fill it with his presence and power. Maybe, just maybe, he's inviting us to welcome him back into our midst, to our life, to our work, to our endeavors, because he's the one who feeds the multitudes someone's afternoon tea. So this Christmas, what does it look like for us to let the Holy Spirit, the Spirit that came because of that first Christmas. Fill us with the knowledge that the God who gives is the God who fills us. What does it look like to be generous of time, of heart, of forgiveness, of finance, of resource? What does it look like for us this Christmas? I want to read you this passage and then I want to pray for us as we wrap our service up today Jesus says this in Matthew 25 when the son of man comes in glory and all the angels with him then he'll sit on his glorious throne before him will be gathered all the nations and he'll separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he'll place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? When were you thirsty and we gave you a drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothed you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the King will answer them. Truly I say to you as you did it, to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did it to me. This is the heart of our generous God. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you don't make it hidden or hard to understand your heart of generosity. I thank you, Lord. It's in the, the simple, repeated acts of kindness Lord, that we don't even necessarily see the value of, but just come across our path, A choice that we can make in and every day. Lord, when those things start to be practiced by a community of people, tens and hundreds and thousands of people, Lord, generously giving. Lord, it builds momentum that shifts cultures. So Lord, would you interrupt us? Would you raise our awareness? Would you remind us of the people that we can invite to a theatre show, the people that we can invite for a meal or afternoon tea, the people that we can just stop for, or the people that we can write a simple note to that reflects your heart, Lord, the people... And need to know that they're valuable. Would you show us Holy Spirit, that this week, but Lord, would that come from an overflow of us knowing, Lord, that we are valuable, that you've been generous to us, that we are worth something, that Holy Spirit, you've made us children of the Father because of Jesus the Son? And Lord, in all of it will we lift our eyes, those 45 degrees fix them on you, knowing that all of this starts, originates and is based in the foundation of a revelation of you, of your generosity of showing yourself, revealing yourself and pouring yourself out into our lives, Lord. Our eyes fixed on you fill us with the generosity of heaven. So come, Holy Spirit, as we lift our voices to you, have your way in us. Have your way this day. Thanks for listening to this River Life Podcast. Make sure you subscribe to keep up to date with all the latest content. If this podcast has raised any questions for you, contact us via church at riverlifechurch.org.au or through Facebook and Instagram. Thanks for listening.